for our Bible reading. Let's turn to Micah 7. Micah 7, we'll start reading at verse 14, but to give honor to the word of the Lord and to the God who gave us this holy word, let's stand as we read Micah 7, starting at verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord, Micah seven fourteen. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt. I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To the Lord our God, they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, King of heaven, we pray that you would bless this, your word, as we hear the preaching. Help us to receive and believe and to exalt Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and judge of all the earth. For we ask these things in the name of Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes scripture seems to give things that don't seem to always go together. Sometimes God is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But at the same time, God reveals himself to be, in the person of Jesus Christ, a lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Both a majestic, mighty lion, but also a gentle lamb. Um, In today's text, we find something a little bit interesting. You imagine that imagery of going into a shepherd's field, looking at some sheep, And there you behold the shepherd shepherding the flock in kingly garb, bearing a scepter, the king who is a shepherd. Micah's prophecy is a prophecy mostly of judgment, but not all of judgment. It begins by telling what's going to happen to both uh, the northern and southern kingdoms, that God is going to bring judgment because of sin and wickedness and immorality and pagan worship. Um, and God is going to destroy their cities. He's going to burn them with fire, and he's going to destroy all of their idols, which they put their faith in rather than in the God of heaven. But this coming judgment, which also leads to a captivity, which is foretold as well, is not the end of the story. Now we go back to chapter 5, and we see in chapter 5 that God promises something special of a future hope of a Messiah. He mentions a place, Bethlehem, in verse 2, that it's too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then 
the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. In the scope of what the Jews were expecting as a Messiah, they were expecting someone who would be a mighty ruler, a mighty king, who would deliver them from oppression of the Romans. But I don't think they expected the Messiah, they probably forgot these words, that this Messiah would be great to the ends of the earth. He wasn't just intended to rule over Israel, but all nations, all peoples, all tribes and tongues. As we look at today's text, and we we look at this portion from Micah 7, and it speaks of the coming Messiah, and it has some things to say about him. Of course, we know that he's already come, but it's telling of what he will be like when he comes. Micah reveals unto us beautiful things concerning the Holy Messiah. But we'll see this in two main points. The Messiah, as the kingly shepherd, And also, secondly, that the nations will fear him. So let's look at this first main point, the Messiah as the kingly shepherd. Verse 14. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. So this passage here, I I believe, is speaking of the Messiah yet to come. But he's going to shepherd his people while bearing a scepter, which is something to be used by a king. So he's a kingly shepherd. Shepherds normally didn't carry scepters. They normally would carry a rod and a staff, as in the 23rd Psalm. And you've probably heard it said before that the rod was used as a defensive weapon to defend uh, the sheep against uh, animals or predators, but also maybe to, to discipline the sheep themselves. But also we had the staff, which is a longer, thin, thinner instrument that when you saw the, the sheep going astray, you can kind of pull them along and direct them along. Or maybe they stuck in a little nook and, nook and cranny in, in some rocks. You can kind of pull them out of there with, with that uh, shepherd's staff because it had that crook that was used to, uh, to guide and lead and pull out uh, sheep who were going astray. But in this passage, the shepherd's bearing a scepter. You could say a scepter is somewhat like a rod. It would be a long instrument, but it would likely be something like a precious metal like gold or silver, or gold and silver, with gems and other things that would deck it out as a gorgeous ornament sign of authority of a king. You remember... Um, the story of um, some kings of old who would bear scepters, and that scepter was a sign of their rule. Uh, in this passage, again, we have this shepherd king, which is something of a picture of what Jesus would come to do. Jesus came as a shepherd who would carry along his flock guiding his flock, but also be kingly and bearing a scepter. Jesus came 
humble, in a low condition. He was born of a carpenter's household. That was his natural father. Of course, we know that his real father was God in heaven. But he was born in a low estate. If they really knew who Jesus was, kings of all the earth would have gathered around to worship him. If they really knew who he was, all of the Jewish people would have come to worship him. Great and small, young and old, um, those who were lay people, but those of the religious orders, the, the servants and the kings of Israel would have all come and worshipped before him. But that's not how it happened. Jesus came in a low estate. He was born and laid in a manger. Well, that's a trough used to feed animals. When he was born in a, a, a stall meant for animals as well. And this humble, lowly baby was worshipped by shepherds at his birth. Jesus came into the world and was in man's sight in his beginnings was insignificant. He was like that little root that came out of dry ground and many did not notice him. But that's what scripture also teaches and there's a reason for this. We turn to John 1, John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. Starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's the eternal ruler, Son of God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So just as in Micah, we have a humble beginning of one who was concealed, you could say, from his own. His own did not receive him. He was born in a low estate, but he was actually the king of glory. And in today's text, we have him as both lowly shepherd and mighty king. We know the rest of the story from John's gospel. Jesus grew up. He served. He healed many. He performed many signs and wonders. He was rejected by his own. He was mocked, beaten, and crucified, and treated as a criminal. But then God raised him and exalted him as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Look at the middle, going back to Micah 7. Look at the middle of verse 14 through 15. As in, it says, uh, In the midst of a fruitful field, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt. I will show you miracles. So this event that's being prophesied in today's text is going to be accompanied by signs and wonders, miracles, and that they're going to be fed in a field, in a fruitful field. This should remind us of Jesus feeding the thousands. But not only did he feed the thousands, he himself is the bread that came down from heaven. God's holy manna from heaven delivered that we would have eternal life through him. Just as uh, the fathers of old, the Jewish fathers of old, ate that bread from heaven yet perished, those who eat the bread that came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, they will be granted eternal life. So Jesus healed many. He healed many sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He did all things well. And many people believed upon him because he performed many magnificent miracles. So Jesus, the Lord and Savior, came into the world as a kingly shepherd. But today's text also says that the peoples, the nations, will fear him because Jesus came into the world as a judge, the judge of the living of the dead. And for this reason, the nations will fear him. Look at verses 16 and 17. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To the Lord our God they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Some folks have the wrong notion of who Jesus was. And for that reason, they do not fear him. Um, I always thought that some of the Roman Catholic art pictures of Jesus kind of fed into some of that. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a feministic looking Jesus, I find, in a lot of, in a lot of that artwork. Um, but that's not just it. I think it's people read certain passages of Scripture and they read one particular verse... And their whole notion of who Jesus is is based upon a particular verse like this. In Matthew 11, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's from Matthew 11. Yes, Jesus is gentle and humble and merciful to those who come to him in faith. Those who approach the Lord Jesus as a little child, believing and trusting and bowing the knee before him, will be granted mercy and they will see Jesus as gentle and that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. 
But what about those who reject this Jesus? It says, as Micah says here, they will come in dread and they will be afraid before you. The rest of Scripture teaches that Jesus is both Savior, but he is a mighty judge, that Jesus will come and judge the earth. Those who reject Jesus will lick up the dust like a serpent and like the reptiles of old. In fact, they will be like their father, the evil one, who, will also, who also was caused to lick the dust and crawl upon the earth that serpent of old, that wicked serpent of old. And they will all be cast down into the lake of fire. So again, why should people fear? Why should the nations fear Jesus? Turn to Revelation 6, 9. Revelation 6, 9. Starting in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and the brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood, and the, star, the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and he who... And who is able to stand? Yes, Jesus is gentle and humble to those who come to him in faith. He's merciful and kind to those who come to him in faith. But for those who reject him and reject his holy gospel, they will cry out in great dread on that day of judgment. When they see him in glory, they will dread. But what about us? What about believers? When we see Jesus, he will gently wipe away every tear from our eyes. 
When we see him, he will be the greatest joy that we have in all of heaven. To see Jesus our Lord, to see that our Redeemer lives, that we shall see him even with our own eyes. But again, those who reject the Lamb, today's text in Micah says, they shall be ashamed and they will put their hand on their mouth. Some people believe that when they stand before the Lord, they might still be able to plea before God. Well, God, you, you made me like this. Or, or God, it was because of my parents. Or, or God, it was because of my upbringing. Or God, whatever excuses they can, they can come up with. But that's not what today's text says. Those who see him on the great day of judgment, they will have two things. They will have shame. And they will have silence. They will be ashamed and they will put their hand over their mouth because they will have no defense or no plea. The time for begging for mercy is now, in this life, before going on to the judgment. But for those who reject Jesus in this life, On that great day when the Lamb is revealed sitting on his great white throne of holy judgment, there will no longer be an opportunity to plea. They will be ashamed and have to put their hands upon their mouth. Brothers and sisters, don't be that person. Using the words of 2 Corinthians 6, I repeat what Paul says. I urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice through his word, Flee to Jesus and believe in him. Repent of your sins and believe in him as he's offered to you in the gospel. So again, Jesus is humble and lowly, you could say, towards those who have faith in him. But should we still fear him? I would say a definition of who God is is that we should fear him. But we fear God We fear even Jesus because he has the power to chastise us. If you are a Christian, you fear the hand of God's discipline, the hand of God's chastisement for disobedience. But you don't dread him as someone who is going to condemn you to hell because we know that Jesus has already suffered the pains of hell for us. Actually, I changed the title of this sermon First, I put it as fear God the shepherd. But I then changed it to fear Christ the shepherd because I believe this entire passage is talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is worthy of our fear, even as Christians. We ought to fear him, again, as the one who has the power to cast body and soul in hell forever. Do you fear him? You should both fear and love him. 
The name of Jesus is almighty and powerful, and he will sit upon that great throne of judgment. But we fear him and love him and delight in his holy gospel. As our text teaches us, he came as a kingly shepherd, but he also came and will come as judge, but a loving, merciful judge and one who is both our advocate and judge for those who have faith on him. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not have to fear that great day. You will rejoice and join all of the saints together in glory. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the gospel preached even by Micah in his prophecy, that Jesus Christ would be the one who comes bearing a scepter as that kingly shepherd, and that he would be the one that the nations will fear. Help us not to be those who deny the Lord Jesus. Help us not to be those who turn away from him, but help us to cling to him, to embrace him with saving faith, that on that great day we shall rejoice at his coming and we shall stand in his presence and that he shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to our, uh, our little attachment here. Round the Lord in glory seated. Let's stand and sing. Fort number 42 from the old Blue Trinity.